Good morning, church body and those of you watching online. We are starting a brand new series this morning, walking through the Old Testament prophetic book from a minor prophet, Amos. As we walk through Amos, uh, it may be a little challenging. You may be seeing Scripture from a different perspective than you normally do. If you are here in person, my advice is we have little... um, Note cards that you can follow along with, take notes, see our main passages in order to help you process, guide, and get the most out of this book that we are studying together. We'll be studying it for five weeks. As we dive into Amos, I was reminded that this past summer I got to go to Montana. Uh, I've never been to that area of the country before, the central northern part of our country. I will tell you, I can't explain it but the sky is bigger there. I don't know why, but it definitely is. They're not lying about that. We went for a bunch of hikes in Glacier National Park, and um, I actually bought my car from uh, one of our former elders who passed away this last year, uh, who is from Montana. And so my car has a ton of Glacier National Park stickers on it that I can't get off. And I just felt like a hypocrite driving around in New Jersey. And people were like, oh, you've been to Glacier? I'm like, no, no, I haven't. And so I was like, I got to just be a man of integrity, and I got to go to the park and experience it for myself. I underestimated, I think, for myself and having a good friend who had been there so often and shared about it, the emotional impact on me being there and seeing the things I had heard him so affectionately talk about. And if you've never been out in a long hike in an area with no cellular service at all, there's actually a cliche that's shared around that about an hour into a hike that's several hours, your body and your brain starts doing something it's never done before, self-examination. About an hour into a trail, you start asking, who am I? Why am I on this earth? What is the purpose of my life? Um, does anything I do matter? What am I doing with what, with what I've been blessed with in my life? You just start asking all of these questions we don't normally ask in the day-to-day excitement, energy, running, alerts, pings, emails, texts that dominate our life. I love being in places where my phone does not work at all because I'm not disciplined enough to make it not work. I have to have nature do it for me because in those moments when we stop and we slow down, We make space, some might say, for our brain to catch up with our body. I would say for the Spirit of God to catch up with the soul inside of us. As we examine this letter from Amos, we will see a person who was able to hear God in the slowness of their life and challenge the chaos of God's people. Who is Amos and why does he matter to me? Why study this guy? Why study this letter? This is 2,800 years ago in a culture I am not familiar with. It's a minor prophet. It's in his name that he's less important. Why study this aspect of Scripture? Let's give a little bit of a background first into who Amos is and was. Amos chapter 1, verse 1, his letter tells us, This message was given to Amos a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. He received this message in visions two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah, and Jeroboam II, the son of Joash, was king of Israel. 
Amos, despite being famous for his cookies that we all enjoy, was a shepherd and a dresser of figs. He was a farmer of figs, and he was a shepherd out in the wilderness. He was a herdsman who God turned into a prophet, operating between 750 and 760, actually the way to say it, 760 and 750 B.C., He was from southern Israel, which the Bible calls Judah, when you're reading the prophets. That language can get kind of confusing sometimes. Sometimes they call Israel Edom. It's another word for Israel. They call southern Israel Judah. They call northern Israel Israel, but all of it is Israel. That's kind of confusing. We live in New Jersey, and it might be confusing. Are we in North Jersey, South Jersey, or does a magical central Jersey exist? For those of us in central Jersey... It exists, right? I am not northern or southern. I'm central New Jersey. He is from southern Israel, from Judah, but God calls him to northern Israel. It's like God gave you a word for our brothers and sisters in Canada. Similar people, different nations, some things are a little bit different. They apologize more and talk a little quieter, and all of them know somebody who's a professional hockey player. You are called to a similar culture, but a little bit different. Amos is challenging Jeroboam II. He was one of the last kings of northern Israel, of the kingdoms that are split. And he was famous for being incredibly wealthy and powerful in his kingdom of Israel. But as we know historically, that doesn't save the kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel is destroyed by a kingdom called Assyria in 721 B.C., roughly 30 or 40 years after this letter was written. So, we also know they didn't listen to Amos and the kingdom was destroyed. We also know that their wealth and their power did not save them from coming destruction. Why explore this? Why does this matter? Why read an Old Testament prophet? First is the question, if you've ever taken a history class in high school, do we believe that history repeats itself? Do we believe that not a lot changes in human nature? And I do believe that nothing changes in the character of God. And so we can see by looking back into history what has happened before, how people have responded to God's call in their life, and hopefully take a lesson from it to not fall in the same way that they have fallen. Amos points out failures of Israel, God's people. They've stopped worshiping Him. They've turned to greed, selfishness, and idolatry. As we examine His corrections and punishments, maybe we can analyze ourselves and avoid the same destructive patterns. One pattern in Amos that we will see and a challenge for us today connects us back to what we preached on last week in Prophets in General. Worship is not what happens on a Sunday morning, but it is what we do in our homes, in our offices, in our classrooms, and in our daily lives. True worship doesn't happen on a Sunday morning. It happens Monday through Saturday. What you do with the time that God has given you, what you do with the blessings that He has placed into your life. Why is God so mad? When you read Amos, and if you've been in your small group already this week, you've read a passage where God's pretty mad, and His language is fairly destructive. At one point in Amos chapter 5, He calls the women of Israel fat cows. So, the language of this prophet is pretty rough. 
If you've mostly read the New Testament or the Gospels, it can be a little jarring to read Old Testament prophetic language. God is very angry, and His justice is moving. We might say, well, I, I, I prefer the Jesus God who is gentle and lowly and embraces sinners, but we also want to serve a God who is just. We want a God who does justice, don't we? We want a God that when someone is doing evil, taking advantage of the vulnerable, shaming those who are weak, we want a God that cares that that is happening and a God that makes right all that is wrong. As we read Amos, it is about a God who cares about justice, who cares about wrongs that are done and correcting them through His power. In chapter 4, God addresses the overindulgence of Israel. They are wasting resources and feeding their overinflated bellies. In their indulgence, they neglect the poor and the vulnerable. By spending every amount of their money on themselves, they are not generously helping those with less. And in spending wastefully and neglecting the vulnerable, they're maintaining their physical acts of worship. They're still going to temple. They're still going and worshiping. They're still offering things. They're still reading the Torah. But at the same time, they're worshiping other things. They've brought into the temple other statues and idols, Baal and Asherah and Molech, and they're worshiping more gods than just Yahweh. Israel is supposed to be God's people. They made a covenant commitment to be different than the rest of the world. Moses records it like this in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2. He says, You have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God, and He has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be His own special treasure. In summary, the people of God he, that He specially selected to be different from every other nation are acting just like every other nation and in some instances are worse than the nations that are around them. They are wasteful, they are lacking compassion, and they are worshiping the created things instead of the Creator that has blessed them with all of it. As we dive into this letter... We want to begin with a question that Amos is asking, am I wasting my life on stuff? Am I just drifting through life rather than embracing the blessing of God's sovereign creation? Amos chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, summarized a little, says, to the people of Israel, you push away every thought of coming disaster, but your actions only bring the day of judgment closer. How terrible for you who sprawl on ivory beds and lounge on couches. It may be hard to relate to a culture almost 3,000 years removed from us, so I made a modern translation of this passage. You spend your time lounging on recliners in your home, your TV on, your laptop open, and your smartphone in front of your eyes. You drink energy drinks, soda, frappuccinos, and pink drinks, whatever you like without restriction. Post another collection of photos on social media from another weekend of spending. 
You have fancy perfume. You have lotions, a 12-step skincare regime in order to push off the decay of aging. You have a dozen streaming services and gaming systems, yet you can't even care enough about what is happening around you. The danger in our blessing is to entertain ourselves is to fixate on ourselves, is to spend every resource God has blessed us with on ourselves so far that we are unaware of the beauty and sacred nature of the life God has given us, individually and the lives of those around us. We spent all of Romans looking at what it means to be church and means to be a community. But for us, like Israel, what does it mean that we are called to serve Jesus if our services don't transform our lives to look different than the lives of others around us? If my patterns, my habits, my spending, my emotions, my expressions are identical to the culture, what is Christ doing in me and in us? In fact, Paul, in the beginning of his letter to Romans, had such similar language to Amos in Romans chapter 1. 800 years later, not a lot has changed. This is what Paul says to the people in Rome. In Romans 1, 21 and 23, he says, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. 800 years later, the same problem exists. Instead of worshiping God as He is desired, as He has made us, they are worshiping the created things God has made rather than the Creator. And as Paul goes on in Romans 1, it has the same product as it does in Amos's day. Paul says, as a result, you are living overly indulgent lives, sexually and in your own physicality, and you are ignoring the plight of the vulnerable and taking advantage of them. It is not a coincidence that the same two products are the same two products of when our hearts aren't worshiping the Creator and become fixated on the created. We consume and we consume and we ignore and we ignore. Another way to look at it, and if you're not a spiritual person at all, is it's like living a life with no eternal purpose or value. It's just drifting through life. I'm given things, I eat them, I consume them. I'm watching things, I'm binging it to kind of get through. I'm staying up really late because I'm really worried about getting up tomorrow, and I just want to avoid and avoid and avoid. In essence, Amos is furious that God's people are wasting their lives away. It's a sacred gift, life itself. You're wasting it. Entertaining themselves to death, drinking, eating, sleeping, buying expensive clothes. We live in a culture where the number one cause of death is preventable and is a product of our lifestyle and wealth. It's heart disease. It is the product of Western culture that we have too much. They have so much stuff that they sleepwalk through life. About a year ago, um, I was in a class 
for my master's degree, and in the class, they were listing through aspects of burnout in work, um, work in ministry, and it was listing all of these stages of what it is and what it could be, what the warning signs are, what the products are, and I'm on Zoom for all of my classes because it's on the West Coast, and they're listing them off, and I'm watching in class, and they're going through, and I'm like, yep, and they go to the next one, I'm like, Yep. I go to the next one. I'm like, yep. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, gosh, I have eight out of nine of these things. Um, this pushed us into a conversation. I, I talked to Caitlin, and I said, I think I need to go back and see a counselor for a little while and, and talk about these last years and how I'm feeling. And the counselor said, what essentially you kind of have is empathy fatigue. You've, you've, you've so many relationships, so many things, so many things have happened that you've given up all of your empathy and you're at a point now where you've got nothing left to give and so you're just shutting down walls. And I can tell you the number one key product for me or the indicator of when I'm there is the level of entertainment I consume. It's my, always my number one sign is am I binge-watching TV shows, am I doom-scrolling on TikTok or in my reels, and has my reading shifted from being things that edify and challenge my heart and my soul to just pulpy sci-fi novels that I can just drift away in some other space problem? Life is hard. It is broken. Scripture calls it sin and it calls it death. And that brokenness can challenge us to want to shut down to it. I'd rather not deal with it. I'd rather not see it. I'd rather not experience it. And so what we do is fall into patterns of dopamine cycles in order to trick our brain and distract us away from the suffering of life. I'll just keep watching and I'll keep eating and I'll keep caffeinating and I'll go through all of this so I don't have to worry about deeper questions like, does my life have any value? The things I've broken in the past, are those people still mad at me? Are they still resentful of me? Does it make me a bad person? Am I doing the most with the talent and the abilities and the brain that God has given me in life? Am I too scared to take the opportunities? I'm about to have a child. Am I going to be a good parent? My children are growing up. Are they going to be productive in their lives? These big questions that worry us, that God calls to us, bring it to me. Instead, we use the things God has blessed us with to avoid and avoid and avoid. I don't think it is a coincidence that Amos is a person who lived a very rural, solitary, quiet life. I don't know how loud figs are, but I can guess they're pretty quiet. And he's out there working with trees. He has a few sheep. He's in a rural space. He has the space and time and quiet to hear God's voice and allow God to work and arrange his soul. I wonder how much time it takes for us to unwind the chaos of postmodern life, to unwind the chaos of a digital wasteland. And if we require more time disconnected than we are allowing. Jesus himself is born in a rural town in Nazareth. 
such a remote, rural, quiet place that people were shocked that any person of any consequence would even come out of that town, is where Jesus is born from. And he comes out hearing the voice of God, responding to the voice of the Spirit, moving. To ask ourselves, as Amos 6 challenges If we do not have a burden for the brokenness of the world, if we are not taking intentional time and space for God to arrange our hearts and our souls, what is distracting us from hearing the voice of God? And maybe the spiritual work of your life right now is not as spiritual as you might categorize it, but it is physically removing distractions and reprioritizing your day-to-day life. Am I wasting my life on stuff? Once we start to examine, the next question becomes, where is true worship lived out in my life? If I'm beginning to worship or beginning to meet with God at all, is it visible in my life? Am I living that out? Amos in chapter 5, maybe the most famous passage from all of his letter addresses this. Powerful, gut-punching words through Amos, speaking on behalf of God. I hate all your shows and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. You are making a lot of noise, but there is no heart change in you. No fruit from your worship. You say that you're worshiping me, but you don't care about what I care about. True worship is caring about the world we live in and that this world is broken and that we are a broken part of it unless we are redeemed by the loving presence of Christ Jesus himself and unless we are bringing his love and grace to the broken, chaotic world around us. Worship is the desire to see this broken world brought back together and the repentant heart to be a part of it. It's realizing in our prayer lives that a burden needs to well up inside of us to pray as Jesus advises us, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we pray, is there a burden in us that this world is not yet as it is made to be? Is there a burden in us that even 2,000 years after the resurrected Jesus, he hasn't come and restored it back yet? Cancer still moves and kills. War still takes advantage and disenfranchises. Weather patterns themselves still leave people without drinking water and access to food. Are we praying alongside the burden of God to care for his people and to care for his creation. 
One step further than that, I believe Amos would challenge. If we can pray a prayer like that in an expression of worship, are we also willing to accept that most times God's answer to prayer is a person? And He may send me to be the answer to that burden and problem. And as I pray for a burden, am I willing to allow God to speak back to me, you go solve it. You extend your hand of grace. You sacrifice from your blessing and privilege so that generosity can flow and others can receive. You go and advocate for justice that my justice and mercy may flow out of your worship as they are naturally made to do. Or as James says it in the New Testament, you say to somebody, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? I made a commitment years ago, maybe half a dozen years ago, that I would not say anymore to people, I will pray for you. Because probably 50% of the time, it was an unintentional lie. That I would say it and I would just forget. I didn't like pull out a notepad and write down my prayer list. And I would say instead, I'm going to pray right then and there, wherever we are, I am going to pray for that person. One, because I have a terrible memory and I'm not going to remember it and pray for them later. But two, I want them to know that right there in that moment, I am willing to respond and to get in the trenches with them and to wrestle this out together physically and spiritually and relationally. Have I been perfect since then? No. But I made a commitment that I'm going to put my body where my mouth is, and if I'm going to pray for people, I'm going to physically do it in the moment there with them. As we walk through Amos, there are three big issues that he tackles in his letter. We are going to tackle them together over the next three weeks, and then we're going to finish out with grace, mercy, justice, and hope in the promise and the presence of Jesus. But the next three weeks, we're going to look at the three things Amos tackles. First, we're going to talk about injustice and that true worship is lived out by caring for people. And we're going to ask the question, how is our worship being seen in how we treat people? Next, we will talk about our own stuff. And how can we be living more simply in order to hear God's voice and to use our resources for others? And then third, we will talk about what is our communal responsibility to each other. Do I just live an individual life? Am I a staunch libertarian? Or do I see myself living an interconnected life with my church and with all of humanity? If that's the case, what do I owe my fellow sisters and brothers in creation? Amos has a lot to say and challenge us about. He challenges the methods and means of worship of his day and is saying they are not aligning your hearts the way they are meant to. They are not changing your behavior in the way they are designed to. 
the temple and the worship services and the reading of Torah is supposed to change you to be more like your Maker. If it's not doing it, we need to evaluate why it's not. I think there is space for us to have a similar conversation of the means of how we worship as a gathered group of believers. The music we play, the room we structure, how we talk to one another. Is it making space for the Holy Spirit to draw us to Jesus and to examine our hearts of where we are not like Him and where we need Jesus to step in and transform us to be more gracious, more loving, and more righteous in our lives. As we begin this journey, I want to just give you space this morning to process, to challenge, to examine. If your note cards are there, you're using an app, you can journal out some things this morning. In a moment, I'll invite the worship team to just make a space again for us to pray and respond. But in this moment, I want you just to join me in a prayer. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes with me. If you are in the room this morning and you're saying, I don't, I don't know God. I don't know how to respond to Him. But I want to. I want you to know what Amos didn't know is that the way we know God is through His Son, Christ Jesus, who put on flesh and walked among us and who showed us true, communal, sacrificial living by stepping out of heaven, giving up His privilege, and dying in the place of His created beings. And I want to give you a chance this morning to know Him and meet Him and follow Him as Lord and Savior. If you are a follower of Jesus, pray this with me as a recommittal moment. Jesus, this morning, I want to know you as Savior, as friend, as God. I believe that you came to this earth and you lived fully God and fully man. I believe that you lived a perfect, righteous life and that that perfect, righteous life led you to the cross where you died for our sin, our brokenness, our shame. You died in our place. And in exchange, you gave us your righteousness and your forgiveness. On the third day, you rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, living a resurrected life, lording and ruling over this world to restore order through love. Jesus, you gave your life for me. Today, I want to commit my life to know you, to serve you, and to be with you here and in eternity. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I'll invite you to stand with me if you can all over the room. I'll invite the worship team up here and I'll have our prayer team to the left and to the right.
I want to give you space this morning to process, or as Amos would say, to worship. And in our worship, to ask the question, have I been worshiping created things over the Creator? Where have I been distracted from my eternal purpose through my stuff? And I want to challenge you this morning to live life fully with the awareness of the sacred nature of what God has given you. Life itself and an interconnected life with all of creation. And take some space this morning to, like an onion, begin to allow the Holy Spirit to peel back layers of our distraction. That we can become more sensitive to His voice and His call. We would love to pray with you and help you with that journey. Our prayer team are to my left and to my right. We would love to just pray and walk that. For me, it is helpful oftentimes to take a step out of where I am as a physical demonstration of what I want God to be doing in my heart and my soul. And so the altars are open as well. You can take a step forward. You can get on your knees. You can, with hands raised, say to God, I am open for you to peel back the layers of my distraction that you can speak into my heart this morning. I will pray, and when I say amen in it, that is the time the altars are open. That is my invitation for you to respond, to receive prayer, or to respond at the altar. If you'll pray with me, and then we're just going to respond together. Glorious Creator and Savior God. May you challenge us through all of the multifaceted distractions we live in today. May we invite you to peel back our layers and to speak into our hearts and lives again to challenge us if we are worshiping other things than you or attempting to worship you and the created things and our job and our children and our entertainment and our performance in our school. And Lord, may we be challenged to lay it all down before you and have you reshape us in your image. We pray this in your name as we respond this morning. Amen. The altars are open.